0: Well, we're so happy that you're all here today. Um, We are just wrapped up last week. We've been studying the book of Joshua over the summer. We just felt like it was appropriate as we came into this new building and a new season that we looked at um, the portion of scripture where the children of Israel received the promise that God had given them and that they walked into the new land and took that territory. So it's been great to just kind of look at those stories in Joshua and, and what happened when those people took the promised land yes emmy amen i agree with you and next week we're going to start a new series that jeff and i have both had kind of on our hearts for a while on spiritual maturity we're going to start talking about what does it mean to be a spiritually mature believer because a lot of times we know that in this day and age in the world we need a church that is a grown up church, right? Now we have no babies come into faith and that is just fine and we love that. But for each one of us, there has to come a point in our faith where we go from being an infant in Christ to we growing into spiritual maturity. And so we're gonna talk about what that looks like and uh, kind of dive into that deeper. So this week is kind of an in-between uh, week. And so I was praying about what I was gonna talk about and I was really praying. I was you know, hoping for something light and fun for the holiday weekend. And the more I prayed about it, the Lord made it very clear what I was supposed to speak on, so this morning I'm going to speak on bitterness. A nice, light, easy holiday weekend topic, right? I really did try and get away from it, but the Lord kept bringing me back to it, so that is what we're going to talk about today. So if you want to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15... That's where we're going to be studying Exodus, second book of the Bible, um, chapter 15, we're going to be uh, studying there, starting in verse 22, but I want to give you a little context about the story that I'm going to be talking about today. Now, the children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt. We've been talking about Joshua going into the promised land. We're stepping back now. We're stepping back to where the children were, of Israel were still slaves in Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, and God has raised up a leader, Moses. And God raises up Moses and says, Moses, you're going to lead my people out of slavery, and you're going to help them go and take possession of this land that I have promised them. So God calls Moses. Then Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. He says, nope, these Egyptians, we need need those Israelites, so they're going to stay here, and he refuses to let the people go. So God ends up sending the 12 plagues on the people of Egypt in order to soften the heart of Pharaoh. And eventually Pharaoh lets them go and they escape into the wilderness. Then God provides the miracle of crossing the Red Sea. And they pass through on dry land and the sea comes crashing down on the Egyptian army and they're delivered. They've been set free from all these years of slavery. They've escaped the the, uh, Egyptians who were running after them. They saw this miracle. And all of a sudden we face this moment and they are free. They have crossed, they are free from Egypt. They've crossed over. They take a deep breath and then we see in Exodus chapter 15 the song of Miriam and the people. They start singing this huge celebration God has triumphed over our enemies. The horse and the rider fell into the sea. We watched the Egyptians be drowned in the sea. God has delivered us. It's this incredible moment of celebration after all this heartache, after all of this turmoil, after this intense moment where they're running away from Egypt and being pursued. They finally cross over. And this is where we find the story that we're going to talk about today in Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22. And it says this. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. And when they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. So you're gonna need to remember that word because we're gonna talk about it a lot today. They called the place Mara, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the Lord, the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases that I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. After leaving Mara, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elim where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. So they are only three days away from their miracle three days away from running away from the egyptians three days from singing that song about how god had provided for them and they face this huge problem there's nothing to drink they are in the desert and there's nothing to drink and so they come to an oasis in the desert where there is water but there's a problem the water is bitter the water is undrinkable it says that it was mara it was bitter And I want you to notice something. If you look down on verse 27, it says that there are plenty of oases with good water, right? After this, they reach a new place where there were 12 good springs. So why this spring? Why was this the first one that they came to? I point this out because I believe that the stop at Mara was not an accident. I believe that God led them, and the first place he stopped was a place where the water was bitter because God had needed to do something in their hearts. And he chose to do it right here. I believe their first stop, once the madness of their escape of Egypt had died down, was to have an encounter with God at Mara and to deal with bitterness. They had seen their rescue. They'd had their moment of celebration. And then God just took them aside for a minute and said, okay, now that we've made it out, we have this little thing that I wanna deal with right now in your heart, and that is dealing with bitterness. God decided to do a little heart work before they went any further on their journey. And this is why. Because seasons of hardship almost always leave traces of bitterness. I'm gonna say that again, seasons of hardship almost always leave traces of bitterness. We all have that picture in our our mind of someone who we think is bitter right? Can you picture? Maybe it's like your great grandma and she's just always yelling. She's so angry. Or maybe it's the crabby old guy that yells if you step on his lawn. Jeff can't wait to be the crabby old guy that yells if you step on his lawn, right? Maybe you have in mind that person who, whenever you say something, always has the negative snarky remark, always comes back. Maybe it's somebody on the Farmington Facebook page, you know, that always has the, like, you're like, oh, there they go. You know, you just know it's coming, right? We can imagine that thing of bitterness, that person where it's just right out here. But how many of you know bitterness doesn't start out out here. It starts out here. And it starts out small. And it starts out with a little offense. And it starts out with something subtle and inward that begins to grow and grow and grow and grow until it can't help but come out. Bitterness can be far more subtle than the person who it's way out here. The definition of bitterness or mara means angry bitter but it also means discontented heavy greatly distressed and oftentimes it's far more internal than we realize i read an article this week in psychology today that talked a little bit about bitterness and it said this all bitterness starts out as hurt all bitterness starts out as hurt The author defines bitterness as a chronic and pervasive state of smoldering resentment. Let me say that again. A chronic and pervasive state of smoldering resentment. When I read that, I was like, oh, that's really good. I got to think about that. Smoldering resentment under the surface that's chronic and persistent. And he regards it as one of the most destructive and toxic of, human emotion, toxic of human emotions. If we repeatedly ruminate over how we've been wronged, nursing wrongs eventually may come to define some essential part of who we are and take on our very personality. That's when it comes out here because it's grown so long inside. Some of the ramifications of bitterness from this psychology article said, it can prolong your mental and emotional pain. It can lead to long-lasting anxiety or depression. It can precipitate vengeful acts that put you at further risk for being hurt. It can prevent you from experiencing the potential joys of living fully in the present. Bitterness can create or deepen an attitude of distrust or cynicism. It can interfere with your cultivating healthy, satisfying relationships and lead you to doubt or disparage your connection to others. It can rob you of vital energy far better employed to help you realize your desires. And it can undermine your physical health. The chronic anger that is bitterness can raise your stress baseline, thereby taxing your immune system. Then the article went on to talk about something that just grabbed me. It said that it's actually a part of how we numb and deal with our pain. It said this, it's as though you've somehow cultivated your anger of some sort of analgesic, that rather than devoting yourself to actually healing from your hurt, you've instead become addicting to numbing it through the painkiller. And the irony of the situation is that to have your painkiller, which is your anger, continue to work, you must keep your wound fresh and open. Yet if you're ever going to transcend your wounding experience, both your pain and its painkiller have to be allowed to expire. Isn't that incredible? It's like we let the anger numb us. And so in order to keep the anger alive, we have to keep the wound alive. And so we don't allow there to be healing because we need that wound fresh in order to feel the anger, in order to numb the pain. And that is not the way God wants any of us to live. When we have been in seasons of hardship there's almost always traces of bitterness that can grow inside our hearts and scripture tells us to guard against it. Proverbs 4:23 says, "Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it." If something grabs a hold of your heart and gets and grows and grows and grows, eventually that's when we see it come out because everything out here comes from right in here. So guard our hearts. And Hebrews twelve fifteen says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you and corrupting many. That's a really incredible verse because it says it's a poisonous root of bitterness that it will poison you and corrupt those around you. Bitterness not only affects you, but it will spread out to those around you. So in this story, I think we see that the first stop after the exodus of God's people was to make a stop at Mara, so that he could deal with their bitterness. And it's the same for you and I. Seasons of hardship and struggle have a way of grabbing little corners of our hearts where bitterness begins to grow. We all have the adrenaline of dealing with something in the moment, whether it's a conflict or a broken relationship or a problem or a sickness or a quarantine. I was thinking about this, do you remember in March when we first started quarantine and we're all like baking cakes and bread and posting fun videos and I'm just so grateful for all the time I'm spending with my children. You know, I think back to that long ago, as time has gone on, wow, the adrenaline of that has worn off. Those coping mechanisms got a little tiresome and now we're starting to see all the real stuff, right? We're seeing the irritability and the frustration and the the bitterness that can come after time. When the agent, adrenaline of dealing with these things goes away, and a struggle endures for a longer season than we anticipated, our hearts can start to grow bitter or cynical or irritable or short-tempered. Anybody seeing any of those things right now in the world and in our lives? Yes. So we need to allow God the time and space to deal with our bitterness before we'll be able to move on from that season of hardship into a season of freedom. And at Mara, the first place they stop we see God deal with the bitter water there. Now, the translation here actually means that he turns the water from bitter into sweet. Isn't that beautiful? It says in our translations that it makes it, the water good to drink again. But it actually means that it took the bitter and it made it sweet. And that's exactly what God wants to do with our hearts, to turn the bitter into sweet. So I want to look at a couple of ways that bitterness can manifest itself First of all, it can be bitterness at others. If you turn back a little bit in Exodus to the first chapter of Exodus, we've been in 15, now let's go back to Exodus chapter one in verse 11 through 14. It's a story back when the Israelites are still slaves in Egypt. It gives us a little context as to what they had been going through during those seasons. And it says, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter. You know what word is there they made their lives mara forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields they were ruthless in all their demands they made their lives bitter that's what it says there these people were hurt and mistreated and devalued And wronged. This was not a made-up offense. This was not them just letting something get away from their heads. They were wronged. They were mistreated. Something bad had happened to them. Now it's important to note because sometimes we don't know what to do with real pain caused by real people. We think we're supposed to be nice Christians and be like, oh it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, and we're stuffing down That person wronged me and hurt me and mistreated me. And we don't know what to do with that. And so we kind of just brush it aside and we push it down. And yet that pain is the exact thing that can turn into bitterness. Because if we don't deal with the pain of what has been done to us, it will come back and it will grow. This was real pain. They had been mistreated. And so God said, I see the bitterness. You were treated bitterly in Egypt. And so he took a moment to address their bitterness at others. So we can deal with that. The second way that bitterness can manifest itself is in bitterness towards God. Bitterness towards God. Turn to the book of Ruth. It's just a few chapters behind that. This story takes place years later, but it's the same group of people. It's the children of Israel. And there's a story in the book of Ruth uh, about a woman named Naomi, who is one of the children of Israel. And the book of Ruth is her story alongside of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Now in verse one, we can see that a famine has come over the land. So Naomi and her husband decide to move their family from Bethlehem in Judah to escape the famine. So they go to the country of Moab. Now, while there, Naomi's husband dies. Then her two sons marry Moabite women, which was a big no-no for Jewish boys, but that's what they did, they married Moabite women. And then the two sons die. So Naomi hears that the famine in Bethlehem has gone away and decides that she is going to go back. Now you can read the story about how Ruth decides to go with her, decides to go with Naomi back to her homeland, even though it would require her to leave her home and her family. Now that's a whole other sermon. But what I want you to look at is when Naomi comes back from Moab, and walks into the city of Bethlehem. The people are so excited to see her, and they came, come running to greet her. So if you look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 19, this is what that encounter is. It says, so the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited about their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? I love Naomi because she's not hiding where her bitterness is directed. It's pretty clear who she's upset with. She says, the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. When they call me Naomi, why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. She is very clear who she is mad at. She is very clear who she thinks has brought all this on her and who she is ticked off at. Naomi says over and over, I am the Lord has dealt harshly with me. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. Now, this can happen to us as well. I've had, in the last few weeks, some really sweet conversations with people who feel distant from God, separated from God. I'm not sure about my faith. And the more I've talked with them, the more we've talked, and the deeper we've gotten, eventually what's come to the surface is, I'm so upset with God. Why would God allow this? Why didn't God stop that? Why didn't God do this? God, why would you allow this to happen? Where are you? You were supposed to, whatever it is, fill in the blank. People that have felt bitterness towards God. We can become disillusioned in our faith and we can become bitter towards God. Some people, We'll take that and they'll outright turn their backs they'll just say i'm done with faith it's not for me didn't work tried that no thank you but i think most people just take a step back and they just say i'm just going to take a step back god i i'm kind of upset with you i don't think i'm really allowed to be that and so i'm just going to kind of i'm not really going to engage in my faith and a wall comes up between us and god because bitterness has grown in our hearts so what do we do with bitterness Whether it's bitterness towards other people, whether it's bitterness towards God, what do we do to make bitterness sweet again? So go back to Exodus chapter 15, verse 25. I want to look at what Moses does, and I think there are some parallels we can take here. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water And this made the water good to drink. So we can learn a couple of things here. First of all, Moses cried out to God for help. We have to start there. Now, the tricky thing with bitterness is it can make us back away from God so that we don't cry out to him. We've stepped back. We've built a wall. We've let something come between us. We're harboring resentment towards God. And so the biggest thing we do is we step away. I remember a number of years ago, I was going to prayer counseling and I was meeting with a woman and we were praying through some stuff. And I remember telling her just, I was so, I said, I'm just anxious and angry and frustrated and I have no comfort. And I'm so upset with God that he allowed this to happen or he didn't intervene in this. And I said, I have no comfort. I remember her looking at me and saying, of course you don't have any comfort, Christy. You have cut yourself off from the comforter in your frustration and your anger. You have cut yourself off from the answer and the solution and the one that can bring the healing that you so need. But you've allowed your disillusionment and how God handles a situation to cause you to back up. And until you step back in and cry out to God, you will not find the peace that you're looking for. It's in the crying out to God that we begin to find the answers and the healing. God is not afraid of your questions. He is not afraid of your questions. You can say, I am really mad about this. We have precedent. It's written in the word of God. Naomi, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She was very honest with what was going on. And you can be honest, God, I don't get this. I don't understand this. Why did you do this? Cry out to God. And when others have hurt you, Don't use the bitterness to just numb your pain. Instead, face it head on and allow God to bring healing. Say, I don't understand this, but Lord, I know. I'm crying out to you because I believe you are the only one that can help me get to the other side of this pain. So the first thing Moses did when he was facing the bitter water is he cried out to the Lord. And then the second thing that we find there, it says the Lord showed him a piece of wood. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. Now, the word showed is a Hebrew word called yara, Y-A-R-A. And it literally means to use your finger to point at something. The Lord showed Moses a piece of wood. He literally pointed at a piece of wood and said, that, that right there is going to fix the water. Hey, Moses, that. It literally means a finger pointing at something. Now, I love that God went that, right? That's gonna fix it. Because that can be so different for each one of us. What's gonna bring healing to my soul for this situation is gonna be different than this over here. What's gonna bring healing to your life for what you've experienced is gonna be different than what it's gonna be over here. But God knows. And if we cry out to him, he'll go, that. That's what's gonna fix it. Maybe your that is bad theology. Maybe somewhere along the way, you grabbed a theology that says, if God is loving, then he would never allow anything bad to happen. He wouldn't allow hardship. And, And so you've been disillusioned because your theology is not lining up with your experience. And that wrong theology is causing you to not understand God. And the enemy is getting in there and twisting and saying, see, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. Look what you've experienced. And so maybe God is saying, no, 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 that you've got to get your theology right about who I am. The truth is God has never promised us a perfect life. We see over and over in scripture that God will allow hardship and suffering and pain because it is the tool that refines us and shapes us and it brings our hearts closer to him. And so none of us have been guaranteed a life without pain. And if that's your theology and then you have pain, well, of course it doesn't line up. And so maybe the that is God is saying, you need to spend some time really learning who I am. Get your theology right. Understand who I am. Maybe that is the that for you. Maybe your that is unforgiveness. Maybe God will look and say, hey, you know what's causing that bitterness? That. You have not forgiven that person. I know you might have tried, but you're still holding on to something. You're not letting it go. You've been wronged by someone and you have not forgiven them. You're ruminating. You're keeping that wound fresh. And you have to let it go if you want the bitterness to become sweet again. Maybe your that is sinfulness and disobedience. Maybe you're finding your life's a mess and you're bitter about how things are going and yet you keep making the same choices that lead you down the same road of pain. And God is saying, this is what's gonna fix it. You have to stop doing wrong and start doing right and do the thing that I've told you and be obedient. And when you do that, the bitterness will become sweet again. I don't know what your that is. And I don't need to know what your that is because God knows. So, allow him to point and say, This is the place. This is how your bitterness is going to be made sweet again. God knows. So, cry out to God. Let him show you what will turn your bitterness into sweetness. And then the Lord wraps up this story of Mara with a deal. He takes a moment and he sets a precedent with the people. He makes a promise and a contract with them regarding their healing. Now we read earlier Exodus 15 uh, verse 26 in the NLT version, but I pulled out a different version called the voice version because I think it really says what I want you to get. And it says this, if you will listen closely to my voice, the voice of your God and do what is right in my eyes, pay attention to my instructions and keep all of my laws then I will not bring on you any of the plagues that I did on the Egyptians, for I am the eternal, your healer. God takes a moment to create a precedent with them. He says, hey, moving forward, this is how it's going to be with you and me. If you listen to me, if you pay attention to me, if you follow my laws, if you care about what I say, here's the deal. Whenever something comes up, I'll point to that, and we'll get through it, and I will bring healing to your life. I will point my finger at that, and if you listen to me, if you obey me, if you do what I say, we're going to keep your heart sweet. You're going to avoid that bitterness. And he also says, if you're quick to listen to me, I won't have to do what I did with the Egyptians when I had to send 12 plagues on them. If you look back um, in the beginning, it says that Pharaoh's heart was hard that God said, let my people go, and he said no. And he was stubborn and hard and would not do what God had said. And so basically, God is saying, hey, we can do it one of two ways. You can keep your heart soft, you can listen, you can pay attention, or it can be like Pharaoh that took 12 plagues for me to get through to him. Any stubborn people in the room? Okay, and don't point at your spouse. Oh. You did, he really pointed right at his spouse, that's fine. I pointed at my kids in first service, so that's fine. Right, sometimes when God is saying, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. And I really believe this passage of scripture is like, listen folks, we can do this one of two ways. If you keep your heart soft, if you listen to me, if you keep, if you're quick to respond to my that, we're gonna keep this thing moving. That bitterness isn't gonna grow. I will heal you when something happens. When you go through hardship, I'm gonna heal you. I'm gonna heal you. I'm gonna heal you. But if you don't, I got 12 plagues ready. I got 12 plagues ready for you. We can bring the frogs out anytime. (laughs) How much better for us to choose to listen to the Lord and respond quickly when he points out something in our hearts because then he follows it with one of the greatest portions of scripture. He says, for I am the Lord who heals you. This is the first time that God calls himself Jehovah Rapha, our healer. It's the first time he names himself that. This is the moment that he speaks that for the first time. And this will always be part of the character of God. And yes, we believe that that means God heals our bodies. We believe Jehovah Rapha is the healer of our physical bodies. But when I look at the context in which this comes in, I think more and often than not, God is trying to say, I will always be the God who heals your heart. I will always be the God who heals your bitterness. I will always be the God who will heal your broken spirit. I will help you work through what you've been through and I will turn your bitter into sweet, for I am the Lord that heals you. Seasons of hardship almost always leave traces of bitterness. God rescued them, and once they were safe, he took a minute to deal with their hearts. He said, I'm gonna show you how to turn the bitterness that has been done to you, and turn it into sweetness. We even see in the book of Ruth, Naomi, by the end of the story, we see a woman who is pleasant again, is happy again. She's holding her new grandson. God has redeemed her story and given her back what she had lost. We see the sweetness in Naomi by the end. So my question to you today is this. Is there bitterness in your heart? Let me ask it another another way. What is smoldering under the surface? in your heart right now? What's smoldering under the surface? Is it bitterness towards another person? Is it bitterness towards God? Whatever that is, today our response is to cry out to God and then let him point to that. Okay, God, what is gonna help me heal that bitterness in my heart? Now, this is God's work right? We don't have the strength in our own to do this. We don't have the strength in our own to forgive people that have wronged us. We don't have the strength in our own, but Christ in us gives us the strength to do that. And what I love so much about this story is a lot of theologians say that it's not a mistake that God told Moses to take a tree, a piece of wood, and to throw it in the water. They believe this is the foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus Christ that the tree that Jesus died on is the thing that turns our bitterness into sweetness. It's beautiful when you think about it. And so we come to Christ, we say, Lord, in our own, we cannot do this, but I thank you that on the cross, you took my punishment, you took my sin, and you can take the punishment of everything that was done to me, God. You can, you can restore sweetness to my heart This is God's work, but we have to participate. We have to ask him to show us what is that, and then obey him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you care about the condition of our hearts, Lord. You care about what is inside of us, Lord. You know the deepest places of us, God, the places that we don't even know how to clearly articulate ourselves, Lord. And I thank you that in your word you show us that you took a moment to pull the people aside. Before they got to the 12 beautiful springs, you pulled them aside to deal with the pain that they had experienced for all those years, the hardship they had endured. You knew, Lord, that you don't escape those years without some residue of bitterness. And so you stopped and you taught them, cry out to me. Listen to me. Bend your ear towards me. Be soft towards me. And I promise I will heal you. And so, Lord, we're asking of that today. Show us, God, our hearts. Search us. Know us. Help us to bring any brokenness and hurt and bitterness to you. Any of the things smoldering underneath. God, we just ask you to just point your finger at that. And show us the way forward. We're so grateful. We love you. You are worth every inch of devotion we can give you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming today, everybody. We're so glad that you're here. I'll be up front if you want some extra prayer. Um, Otherwise, have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. God bless.